Idleman Unplugged is part of the Edify Podcast Network. I want to see your face Pass me by the crowds of people The priests who sing your praise Hello, my name is Shane Idleman, and I'm the pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in Leona Valley, California. It is my personal heart and goal for you to see truth through a biblical perspective. I hope that you enjoy this segment of Idleman Unplugged. Hello and welcome to another episode of Idleman Unplugged. This episode features Pastor Shane reading chapter 4 of his book, If My People. We hope that you enjoy this segment of Idleman Unplugged. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, and it's only found in one place. Chapter 4, Repentance, Desperate for Change. And I like what Leonard Ravenhill said as we get into this chapter. Chapter In revival, God is not concerned about filling empty churches. He is concerned about filling empty hearts. And this final chapter in my book, If My People Read This or Listen to This in Case in Case of National Emergency, is the final portion of Second Chronicles uh, seven fourteen. If my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So again, chapter four, repentance, desperate for change. I will never change. I keep failing. I keep falling. God, please help me, said one once happy person who was defeated time and time again by sin. Change is difficult, but we risk endless difficulties and often tragedies if we don't repent and change. Change requires self-examination, grace, responsibility, humility, discipline, obedience, and repentance. Did you catch that? That's a mouthful. But if we truly want to change, we have to apply the biblical principles of self-examination, giving ourselves grace, relying on God's mercy, take responsibility, humble ourselves, discipline the body, obey God's word, and repent. Uh, and these are character qualities that run countercultural. means they go against the world standards. We have enough books and sermons uh, to fill how many libraries on this issue of change. It's amazing. Uh, and we have um, a lot of information on how to do something, but the problem really is want to. Many people know how, we, we just don't have the desire, the want. And if you've read my book, Desperate for More of God, or if you've heard me speak before, you've probably heard the story uh, that I'm about to give as well as most of the points in this section, because this this issue of repentance doesn't change over time. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a timeless truth that does not change. So I'm hoping it, there's some conviction here, possibly a catalyst for change, and um, it, it's so important that repentance, genuine repentance, is a mark, a hallmark of our life. I vividly remember a men's conference where I spoke on the dangers of pornography. A man approached me after the message. His eyes were filled with tears. And he said, my wife is leaving me because of porn. This conference is my last chance. After talking and praying, we saw that his desire was being fed primarily through, you know, cable TV and sports channels. Many of the explicit commercials and the cheerleaders and photos, he told me, sparked his lust. So after a few minutes, I said, well, in addition to repentance, accountability, transparency, um, You've got to remove the television and disconnect the internet for a while. Give your wife, you know, uh, some hope there. Show your wife that your marriage is worth it. His response was alarming back then, and it's still alarming today, but it's characteristic, a characteristic of so many people. He said this, I can't do that. Kind of like he looked at me, bro, are you kidding me? I can't do that. I'm a sports fanatic. 
surprised and disappointed, I asked, how badly do you want it? How badly do you want a healthy marriage? How badly do you want a vibrant relationship with the Lord? How badly do you want the abundant life that Christ spoke of? How badly do you want a godly role model for your kids? Obviously not bad enough. And I asked the same question today. How badly do you want it? It all starts here. You must be desperate for change. And I often think of that, that young man, where's he at today? Um, Based on what he told me, he's not in a good spot. Can you imagine maybe on his second, third marriage, life is falling apart, kids don't respect him, possibly caught in addiction. Guys, this is no joke. Repentance is no joke. It is the lifeline to our Savior. Uh, and, and, and right now I'm talking primarily to to believers, repenting, getting back on track if my people confess, turn from their sin. But there's also repentance unto salvation. So if you're watching this and you're not a believer, you don't know Jesus Christ, you've got to repent and believe that God can save you and set you free in that wonderful work on the cross. And genuine repentance, when it takes place, the fruit of the Spirit follows, you're, you're cleansed, you're set free. It's an amazing thing once we take that step and humble ourselves. And Jesus often asks, do you want to be made well? For example, John 5, 6. And although theologians are divided on the motive behind such questioning, one thought is crystal clear. We must want to change and not just talk about it. Man, so many people talk about it, but we have to want to change. Take anger, for example. It does not produce good fruit. Go ahead and check out James 120. Uh, what about controlling your tongue? Uh, what about... Um, backbiting and slandering because the Lord hates gossip, backbiting and slander. Proverbs talks about things that the Lord hates. And one of those is uh, someone who sows discord among them brethren. What about wrong attitudes? Anyone listening have wrong attitudes? I mean, it can slip into my own heart often, critical spirit, negative, especially what's going on in our world today or our nation today. Uh, what about self-righteous and judgmentalism? Those are dangerous. What about addictions? Uh, you know, these include anything from food to drugs to alcohol to pornography to unhealthy lusts. And we do forget about um, gluttony often and how that is uh, a sin in God's eyes, abusing the body and just being addicted to, to food. And and even I mean, there's there's minimal type drugs, if you want to call them minimal nicotine, caffeine that uh, are really, you know, when we're addicted to something, it is a form of idolatry, especially if God's convicting us. You know, there's there's freedom in Christ. I got it. But if you know something is is making you irritable and anxious and moody and it's harming your body, you might want to really think twice about this so-called liberty. It, it's possibly and probably is an addiction that needs to be repented of it, repented of it, repented from, and then you repent of it, of course. Sadly, many do not want to change. In fact, our flesh loves sin. It really does. The first step towards change then is repenting of pride as well as destructive areas in your life. I should say other destructive areas in your life because pride is destructive. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon rightly noted, we are never never so much in danger of being proud as when we think we are humble. Let that sink in for a minute. Those who are humble will say, amen, praise God, so true. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me humble. Those who are prideful, this will just go right over their head. They're like, yeah, um, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm humble. Give me a break. We are never, never so much in danger of being proud as when we think we are humble. When challenging people in this area... I often ask them, are you genuinely sorry and repentant, or are you just sorry that your reputation uh, and, and your life are on the verge of being ruined? 
The difference between sorrow and repentance is vital, and many confuse the two. It's possible to be sorry, but not repentant. What I mean by that is we're sorry about the consequences. Uh, I got caught, but we're not truly repentant. A What they call a penitent, penitent person, P-E-N-I-T-E-N-T, I sometimes have problems with this word for some reason. A penitent person, let's just say a repentant person, turns from sin. Anger, for example, subsides, not remains. They accept full responsibility for their actions without blame, resentment, or bitterness. When repentance is genuine, we want to be reconciled with those we've injured. We also want to fix the damage we caused. We seek forgiveness without conditions and stipulations. I see so many people, especially couples, you know, they'll get together and they've got their arms crossed and yeah, okay, I'll repent, but you know, you need to do this or you need to do that. Or I mean, it's... It's just it's it's not legitimate genuine repentance, and it will not produce godly fo- food. Godly food. It's too early. Godly fruit, uh, and we take full responsibility when we're genuinely repenting. We take full responsibility for our actions. We own it. There can be no buts when repentance is genuine. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Those are often healing words and signs of genuine repentance. Obviously not always because people could just be giving you lip service, but more often than not, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. And so if this is not occurring, repentance has not taken place. Uh, Excuses need to stop before change and restoration can occur. And that's why the portion of 2 Chronicles 7.14 is so important. If my people, if my people humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, if they repent. See, you, you can do the other three and not repent. And, you know, you're not you're not on your way to victory there. Um, Christopher Morgan reminds us that there can be no agreement as to what salvation is unless there is an agreement to that from which salvation rescues us. It is impossible to gain a deep grasp of what the cross achieves without plunging into a deep grasp of what sin is. So again, back to the unbeliever, we have to see that we have sinned before God, that even our supposed good works are, 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 are an abomination in the sight of God. They're a stench in the sight of God. No one is good. No, not one. We have sinned before God and we repent of that. And we, we, we embrace by faith the wonderful victory on the cross that Jesus Christ accomplished by paying for our sins. And we simply repent, humble ourselves and acknowledge that. And then we're saved and we're set free from the bondage and the, 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 sin, the, the death sentence that sin has over us. It's a very wonderful thing. Uh, in short, we cannot minimize the damage and destruction of sin. Jesus didn't die on a cross for a shortcoming or for a predisposition. He died to rescue us from the hellish grip of sin. That's why repentance is our only hope and the main catalyst for revival. Uh, and I'm going to say that again. Repentance is the main catalyst for revival. As uh, Ian H. Murray said, he's an incredible um, author who's written a lot of uh, biographies on different um, people. He said this, he rightly noted in his incredible work, Revival and Revivalism, the Making and Marrying of American Evangelicalism. Evangelicalism. Whew, it's a long title. 
1750 to 1858. He talks about all the different uh, awakenings during that time. And he said this, all awakenings begin with the return of a profound conviction of sin from attitudes of indifference or of a cold religious formality. Many are suddenly brought by the hearing of the truth to a concern and a distress so strong that it may even be accompanied by temporary physical collapse. And uh, Ian Murray is solid, solid guy. And for him to say this really um, is noteworthy. Uh, it's not just some guy being emotional. I mean, this, this, when, when, when sinful man encounters a living God, and that's why revivals sometimes are not pretty. They're not, we can't keep God in a box. We can't tell people, you know, just keep, just keep, keep sitting, keep, 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 you know, keep your seat there. Don't, don't get too, don't, don't, don't go to the altar. Don't raise your hands. Don't, don't have any out loud outbursts. Now we don't necessarily want that. We don't want to um, have people fake it or the flesh or the enemy distracting. But when a holy God interacts with sinful man, that's not always uh, pretty. And I remember when God brought me home, the prodigal son home, yeah, I think it was right around, I think, you know, I wish I wrote it down, January 1999. Definitely 99 was a hard year. Um, you know, the old man wants to still come back and, and, and uh, bring you down. But I remember that, that morning on the floor, crying out to God, reading his word, worship on, and I'm just, I can't stop crying and weeping because um, his grace, and I, I, I praise God I didn't die before I fully surrendered my life. And and uh, that that if that was in a church service, that would not have looked um, very pretty. Uh, it would have been, gave people pause for concern. What's wrong with that guy? Man, that's emotionalism. Boy, that, that can't be God. Give me a break, folks. Um, we've got to be prepared that when people genuinely repent, there is sometimes um, an emotional response. Next section here, hearing is not doing. Hearing is not doing. Some have suggested that repentance is just self-improvement or a call to fulfill our natural potential. When we repent, we do improve and our God-given potential becomes more apparent. But repentance is not about self-improvement. It's about renouncing and turning from sin. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change in action. Brokenness and genuine sorrow over sin and humility are marks of sincere repentance. Lasting hope and joy are also byproducts of a right relationship with God, beginning with what? Repentance. Yay. Wonderful chapter here on this glorious truth. And that's why it breaks my heart that many pastors and churches aren't talking about this incredible truth. It's like trying to offer someone uh, help to lose weight, get on track, get their health under under control. But don't talk to them about their diet and lifestyle choices. <laughs> I mean, wow. So and that's what happens when we don't talk about repentance. We actually uh, prevent people from truly experiencing God. Because there's always a link between genuine change and sincere repentance. On numerous occasions when I've spoken out about the danger of sin from the pulpit or during counseling, most people enthusiastically agree that it is wrong, but they continue any, anyway. They hear, but they do not do. Therefore, according to James one twenty two, they actually live in deception. They are deceiving themselves. Think about that. All of you listening or watching, if you know what to do and you're not doing it, you're actually living in deception because you think you're all right. 
and you're not all right. We, it's the, the, the power of God's word comes in the application of it, not in the hearing of it. Pride is deceptive. It blames everyone else, but fails to look within. I remember a time when I, along with a few others, confronted a man about his pride. Instead of recognizing his blind spot, he threw it back on those in the room. Unable to perceive his own pride, the man allowed sin's deception to take over and spiritual blindness set in. When pride gains a stronghold, the heart hardens and an array of excuses follow. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James 1.15. Think about that. Sin, we conceive of sin, we think of sin, we have a choice. Do we act upon that sin? Because the door of temptation is swings both ways. My mom used to tell me, you can enter or you can exit. And so once sin is laid hold of and you cave into it, if you continue to nourish it and give it give it uh, uh, nutrients and, and act upon it and continue to fuel it and feed it, that sin as it grows will bring forth death in your life. Sometimes physical death, definitely spiritual death, mental uh, trials. I mean, it's just death is not necessarily um, dying physically, although it is. It's a, it's a it's a separation from God. A spiritual death is a separation from God because people die when they die. They don't die. Eternally, and their bodies are are never resurrected, and they they cease to exist. Annihilation. They are separated from God, and so we can still experience spiritual death here as we um, begin to hear, but do not apply. Repentance followed by obedience is crucial. This is the 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 duo that stops sin dead in its tracks. Repentance, and then I obey kills sin. It aborts sin right when it's conceived. Or later on, if you're, maybe you're listening to this and you've messed up, man, life is going in a really bad direction. I want you to know that if you're hearing this and are watching this, you're never too far out of God's scope of redemption while you still breathe breath here on earth. You're never that far out of God's reach for redemption or to get back in the center of his will. Shane, the consequences I'm, I'm in now, I'm in so deep Yes. Turn though back to God, let him restore, let him rebuild, and there will be consequences. But see, now you've got God on your side. Let's say somebody confesses to adultery. Wow. What a biggie there. Someone confesses to an abortion. Somebody confesses, confesses to um, robbery or stealing or manipulating or lying to a spouse and his kids. And now, or the wife is doing this and the wife is, and, and now they're just, there's this huge mess. But when you repent, and you get back in good graces with God, now God walks with you through the journey. He gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So I would encourage you, no matter where you're at, turn back to God ASAP. Don't say, yeah, maybe next month. I've got to get some things in order first. I've got to, I'm enjoying my sin right now. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't go and spend all your, 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 your things on riotous living, prodigal son or daughter. Come home ASAP. Um, and here we go. I'm going to, I'm going to finish up here. Feelings often deceive, but obedience can be trusted. Another people, another reason, uh, another reason, for example, some people say, you know, Shane, I just don't feel convicted, even though, you know, when they're in sin, they're living with someone they shouldn't be living in. You know, Shane, I just don't feel convicted. I don't know what to tell you. Well, that's because you, your, your spirit is dull to the things of God. If you are a Christian, you've quenched and grieved the spirit of God. So of course you don't feel the fire of the spirit. You've, 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 you've quenched him. 
and, and, and you start to justify things and you've lived away such a, a long time, you live a lie. And yeah, of course you, you, you feel okay, but that's deception because obedience to God's word, that's the only thing that can be trusted. And then our feelings will eventually follow. You'll have feelings of joy and peace and contentment. It's a beautiful thing when repentance, repentance takes place. Sadly, many do not want to experience freedom and true restoration because wholeness is found in obeying the truth, not just hearing it. For some people, church serves as therapy for this very reason. They hear about sin, they're convicted, and then they leave feeling justified because because they heard it and they felt something, but they never repent and therefore they never change. Or sometimes the opposite occurs. They never hear about sin in churches. So change through repentance does not occur. Uh, how many churches right now in America are, are you know, let's say, uh, you know, mega churches, small churches, you know, on a, any given Sunday, millions and millions and millions of people who need to hear about repentance and the call to turn back to God and to confess their sin and to get out of that lifestyle are not being told that. They're being given encouraging messages and God loves you just the way you are and you're the head and not the tail and you're going to come out ahead and, and delay is not deny and seven steps to this breakthrough. And see, all of those things are good in context. We need to be encouraged that God uh, loves us and God's for us. And, but if that's all you tell someone and they, they, they feed off of encouragement only void of conviction, they will never walk in the fullness that God wants them to fullness. And what I mean by that is the full scope of his will, joy and peace and doing his will. And, and so a lot of people aren't called to repentance because it's not popular. And so, yes, we should balance Encouraging messages, you know, God still loves you. God cares for you. God wants what's, you know, best for you, according to his word, though, not what we think, you know, not your best life now necessarily, but what he, best for you biblically. There's mercy, there's grace, and, and we are the head, not the tail. Um, and we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And there are seven steps to better understanding your spouse or financial prosperity in some instances, you know, the better way to handle your money, I should say, because I don't believe in, in the prosperity gospel. Um, but if you don't season all that with repentance and getting right before God and obedience and crying out to God, then you're really what you're doing is you're giving somebody a half truth and a half truth never leads to full success. Think about that. If I give someone half the truth, it, it can be very damaging. Hey, hey, yeah, my car is working, son or daughter. My car is working. You can drive it. Okay, it's working. The engine's been fixed. You know, we had it repaired. Oh, but the tires are flat. <laughs> I'm not going to tell them about that. So see, that's a half truth doesn't do, actually it does some, it does a lot of harm because you go to church thinking everything's great and how many people are led to utter destruction, uh, hell, eternal damnation. How many, how many are led to that by by cowardly preachers, pastors, teachers who don't tell them the whole truth 
and they're going to have to be held responsible as well. And again, I'm not trying to put down people. If I was just, if God just left me up to Shane Eidelman, I wasn't in his word. I wasn't worshiping. I wasn't trying to remain broken, repentant, as humble as much as possible and wanting God to speak through me. I would drift and I would want to tell people what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. But when pastors spend significant time in the prayer closet, significant time worshiping, significant time, uh, not only obeying God's word, but dissecting God's word, what happens is because from all of that, now they are full of the Holy Spirit. They're full of what God wants to tell them, to tell people. And then the fullness of the Spirit comes out. And that's really how you see lives radically change because a sermon void of the Spirit is just a good talk. It really doesn't, you know, significantly change uh, people at a very deep level. Genuine faith is reflected in obedience to God and his word. The fruit that follows is sincere humility, selfless love, true repentance, and a disengagement from the things of the world. Did you catch that? The fruit that follows sincere humility, I'm sorry, the fruit that follows sincere repentance and obedience to God's word is humility and it's selfless love and it's true repentance and it's a disengagement from the things of the world. I don't enjoy the things of the world that oppose God. I I want to fill my mind and heart with things that, that are honoring God honoring. Um, if you're not doing that and then there'll be, if you're there, there's self love, uh, there's loathing, there's pride, there's a lot of anger. Uh, it's just a mess when we are in disobedience to God's word. There's no joy. There's no fruit in our lives. It's like what I call the walking dead. They go to church now and then they might thumb through the Bible, but they are dead spiritually because they need to repent and the I love the verse in Acts, repent so that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Now, obviously, that was for unbelievers, and they'll feel times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord, but that's also an incredible principle about revival, a re, 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 the refreshment of the Lord when you repent, and that can happen to believers. So many times when we repent, we get right with God. Man, the joy that follows is incredible. I, I, I never want to go without that. Does your life reflect these characteristics? Because both hearing and obeying the truth are equally important. Now, quick word of encouragement to those who have failed. If you feel discouraged, don't be. You can get back on track, like I just said earlier. Often you'll have two choices, to fall backward or to fall forward. If you fall forward into forgiveness, in time, God's grace will heal and restore you. But it begins with humility. Humble yourself today and end the cycle of pride and defeat and disobedience. God can rebuild your life and open doors that you might not have even thought possible. Next section here, hidden in plain sight, hidden in plain sight. This is a very important uh, part of this book as well. Social media is filled, filled with jealousy and envy. Self-indulgence is rampant in the church. Sexual sin has reached an epidemic and some churches are compromising the gospel in an attempt to reach the culture. Now, at least that's what they say. Well, we got to cave in on these areas to reach a culture. No, you don't. The power is... The power of the gospel is maintaining the character and the integrity and dignity of the gospel. And people see that difference. You don't change. And so people, you don't compromise the gospel to draw people in. You stand on the gospel and that draws people in. Now, granted, we are called to reach out to others, but not at the expense of compromise. I mean, I've witnessed soft porn images on Christian websites, questionable movie clips during PowerPoint sermons, and youth pastors talk about their favorite sexually charged TV show or movie with the youth. 
all under the guise of relating to the culture. And we wonder why the American church is powerless. Benson's commentary is spot on when referencing our theme verse in Second Chronicles, that they must humble themselves under his hand. They must pray for the removal of judgment. They must seek his face and favor. And yet all this will not be sufficient unless they turn from their wicked ways and return to him from whom they have drifted. And Isaiah reminds us that the arm of the Lord is not sh- uh, short and his ear is not heavy. He can save, but we have to turn back to him. You see, we run the risk of having perverted the words of the living God, check out Jeremiah 23, 36, by failing to warn and challenge people to turn from their sin. Pastors and elders, especially as the church falls deeper into self-reliance and further from reliance on God, we must be bold leaders. Change will only occur when there is a strong conviction of sin, genuine faith, humility, and sincere repentance. May God grant us the wisdom and strength to proclaim these truths. We must stop showing, we must stop showing a contempt for scripture such as forbearance and long suffering and gentleness and kindness. Repentance is our only hope. The key to revival is hidden in plain sight. Did you catch that? The key to revival, repentance is hidden in plain sight. Leonard Ravenhill, he once contrasted Hosea with Psalm 86 regarding God's sovereignty and our responsibility in seeking revival. Hosea 10.12 specifically says that if we sow in righteousness, we will reap in mercy, but we must break up the follow ground of our hard hearts and seek God. Now, breaking up follow ground is our job, correct? But repentance is the shovel and blade that prepare the soil. So we break up the follow ground. It's our job. And as we repent, that acts like the shovel and the blade that goes underneath and and tills the dirt. Now the soil is ready. Now the soil can receive a downpour. Now the rain can come and fertilize and fuel and renew that land. Soil cannot receive a downpour unless the soil is prepared. I mean, try pouring Uh, some watermelon seeds on concrete and then pour some water on top of those seeds and sit back and watch those grow. Not going to happen. Why is it not going to happen? There's that, that, that seed can't enter. Same thing with their hearts. Uh, We're not going to see the, 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 the rain of revival. If the soil of our heart isn't right and ready and, and ripe and ready for, uh, God to bring us a season of revival. And we also see, though, God's sovereignty in Psalm 85, 6. Will you not revive us again, Lord, that your people may rejoice in you? So he's crying out, Lord, will you not revive us? We we, want to rejoice in you. So it's evident that joy was missing. Joy always follows repentance. In this same vein of thought, Ravenhill also offered a great analogy. A man who apparently drowned had been under the water for an incredible amount of time. Then somebody pulled him out and worked and worked and worked on him until eventually life came back again inside of him. This is actually what it means to be revived. It means to be revitalized, to restore. Uh, The power that has lost has been restored. It means to recover lost energy. So if you are spiritually dead to the things of God, don't wait another day. Don't continue to abuse the grace of God. 
turn to God today, whether it's for the first time as an unbeliever coming to know him and saying, I repent of my sin, I need God, or as a believer who's drifted and you're returning to God, do not wait. You're not guaranteed another day, another hour. And someone once said to me, I'll have another shot at God someday, but I never saw that person again. Don't play games with God. Today is the day of salvation. Turn to him in full surrender and embrace what is hidden in plain sight. If you've enjoyed this episode of Idleman Unplugged, be sure to send us your ideas and topics for future episodes of the podcast. You can send us an email at westsidechristianfellowship.org or shaneidleman.com. Thank you for listening to us today. And join us again on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Eidelman Unplugged. For more information, visit us at shaneidleman.com. Again, that's shaneidleman.com. Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. El Paseo Publications proudly supports the Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network. We are committed to quality in Christian publication. Free ebooks can be found at westsidechristianfellowship.org under free ebooks. Books such as What Works for Men and What Works for Young Adults will help readers understand that the obstacles ahead are never greater than God's power to take you through. Books such as What Works When Diets Don't and Feasting and Fasting demonstrate how health can be achieved from a biblical perspective. Other free books such as Answers for a Confused Church and Desperate for More of God show the importance of fully surrendering our lives to Christ. And One Nation Above God is a must-read for anyone concerned about the direction of America. Again, free downloads of these ebooks are available at westsidechristianfellowship.org. We are happy about partnering with the Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network.